Good evening, everyone. That's why we've got a bigger room to accommodate everyone in time. Um, in terms of tonight's topic, um, you may have um, all heard of a, a Zen saying, which you, you find in many books on Zen, which is, um, first there is a mountain, then there is no mountain, then there is. Uh-huh. What does that gobbledygook mean? Uh-huh. In a sense, it's quite simple. Is that there's a mountain. We know what a mountain is. But if you really look into the nature of a mountain, you realise that a mountain doesn't exist separately from itself. It's just connected in with everything else. It's connected into valleys and the background of the sky, and it's not separate from the earth. So in a sense, there is no mountain, it's just a concept. Just a concept which delineates a certain land formation out from the rest of the world, the rest of the earth, the rest of the universe. So there is a mountain, and then there is no mountain, and there is a mountain. And it's describing in just natural terms the whole um, uh, experience or the whole philosophy of Zen or of Buddhism, form, emptiness. Form, emptiness, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Mountains are not mountains, not mountains are mountains. Mm -hmm. And um, that's the whole of Zen practice in a way. Now, one of the other well-known terms or phrases that we use in Zen over and over again, and you hear it in the literature, is just this. Just sitting, just walking, just seeing, just laughing, just crying, just chopping the vegetables, is that this is the simplicity of experience that we all come back to. Chikantasa, you know, the Japanese word for, for sitting, means just sitting. Not even meditating, just sitting. Not thinking, not contemplating, not analysing, not daydreaming, not thinking about anything, just sitting. And that is a true description of what Zen practice is. But then again, if you look into what is just sitting, there is just sitting, there's just this body, mind, body, called Jeff, sitting. But if you look into it, there's nothing ever exists in separation. So when we say that there's just sitting, it sort of, in a sense, narrows it down to just this. But just like with the mountains and no mountains, there's never just sitting. It's just this body here, but there's all this as well, existing at the same time. Nothing exists in isolation. So those words, just sitting or just this, they're very good pointers um, in terms of understanding Zen practice. But any form of words, well, they're delusional, right? They're all constructions and they, they, they take you to a certain point. But if you just fixate on those words, then you, you lose a, a comprehension of the whole. Mm-hmm. So there's just sitting, but there's... as um, 
Uh, Robert Aiken, one of my teachers, used to say it was one of his signature phrases, is the whole universe is sitting. Right? You're sitting, but the whole universe is sitting. We can't separate these things out. Now, one of the <clears throat> other words uh, which you find in many uh, Zen books about Zen, although not so much these days, it was more in the works of um, D.T. Suzuki and Alan Watts, um, were, were the words um, Kensho and Satori, um, which point to um, insight experiences that people may have through Zen training. And Kensho um, refers to um, a, a budding kind of beginning experience of awakening or insight. And Satori usually refers to a, a much deeper, more mature um, experience of the same kind, only much more far-reaching and profound. But um, Robert Aiken quite... I think quite correctly um, uh, didn't talk about the word, didn't, didn't use the word Kensho, we never used the word Satori in our own jargon because it kind of, um, it builds it up into something very mysterious and with a halo around it and extraordinary when in fact it's just very simple. Um, so he preferred to use the word openings rather than Kensho or Satori. <coughs> But if we use the words opening, people do have experience of, of, of opening, not just in Zen practice, but in everyday life, you know, um, in different religious experiences. But it's certainly you know, through doing Zen practice, you create the uh, favourable circumstances in which those flashes of insight might occur. And... Um, Joko never really liked to talk about them much because she thought that they became too inflated um, and uh, it wasn't the be-all and end-all of Zen practice, which I agree with, it's not. Um, but nevertheless, it is a part of Zen practice and those experiences occur. So we may inflate their importance by talking about them all the time, um, but we might make them mysterious by not talking about them at all, either. <laughs> um, but when those experiences happen, um, it might help to understand it by um, relating it to another experience that I would assume probably everyone in this room has probably experienced sometime in their life. And um, it's an experience where there's a kind of a, uh, a different dimension to the way you experience life and, and everything seems brighter and there's more of a sense of generosity towards others and uh, life just seems more joyous. Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Falling in love. Mm -hmm. That's what people experience when they fall in love. <clears throat> and, um, but when you fall in love, in the romantic sense of the word, you're, you're falling in love with a particular person, right? a separate person, a separate entity. Right? And that's fine. 
But you could liken the insight experiences of Zen or Buddhism or um, spiritual experiences generally is it's not falling in love with a person or a thing or there, though a, a thing or an experience, a particular experience may trigger it off. But what it's triggering off is kind of like falling in love with life in a, in a, in a vivid moment because it's not just not just that person or not just that that um, leaf falling off the tree but there's an, a sense of it opening up into the interconnectedness of everything so there's some sense of uh, of joy or love of, of falling in love with life a little bit more perhaps when you have that experience and not just the separate things that are in front of you um, and if someone had a very deep Satori experience like um, the, um, the well-known Zen teacher Hakuin Senji um, whose Song of Sazen we recite apparently had about 18 major Satori experiences and a few minor long ones along the way <laughs> um, and the Buddha supposedly had a, a great experience that just really broke through everything people have those experiences um, then it, it's a character changing kind of experience where there is this very deep sense of connectedness to everything nothing's, nothing's excluded from it but people touch that same experience you know, um, more often than perhaps we might think they do in everyday life they touch the same experience but it's not to the same depth of that experience but it's the same experience and there is a saying in Zen, a metaphor they use, that if you you cut a piece of wood, you cut it and you can see the you can see the flesh in the wood. It doesn't matter whether it's a shallow cut or a deep cut, it's the same cut. And it's the same cut of insight, whether it's deep or shallow. But for most people it's a it's a relatively speaking, it's a a shallow experience but it widens and deepens your practice in some way where this sense of um, separateness is broken down and you just get a, a larger, bigger picture of what the experience of life is. So it's important to talk about these things rather than not talk about them um, and to include them in practice and to, and to understand what they are. Now some people when they have those experiences um, they sort of want to jump around and dance and sing because that's just the nature of their maybe extroverted being and some people are more introverted and subdued in their experience of it where it's just like um, us reading uh, James Austin who wrote Zen in the Brain who's not just a neuroscientist but he was a he is a long-time Zen student. We shared the same teacher in Japan. And he describes his experience of just being on a, a train station in London after he, on the way to a retreat. And suddenly, just everything was just so, you know, and it had always been so like that and ever would be. And my own, you know, um, minor experiences of that are, are similar, just an experience of just a very vivid experience that everything is just so 
is what it comes down to. Everything is just so. And what moves out from there, if everything is just so, then I'm just so as well. Right? So it's kind of like it leads just to a deep, non-judgmental experience of the world and yourself as well. You know, you don't have to be anything else than what you are experiencing right now. So that's the, the whole experience that occurs. Now, some people have those experiences and they're the kind of sudden experiences that we talk about. And, but by and large, people come to that, ex, that same experience not necessarily through sudden experiences, just through gradual practice. And they just slowly sink into it more and more. You don't actually suddenly experience it happening. But that's the transformation that, that occurs anyways. We, we, we gradually wake up out of this um, self-centred dream that we're caught in.